is Looking Closer. I'm Jeffrey Overstreet, and this is a follow-up episode to a cutaway episode about books, about books that are keeping me company during the isolation of the pandemic. I began that last cutaway episode by talking about how I received a package in the mail uh, shipped from the great bookstore Eighth Day Books. It was a birthday present full of books from my friend Warren Farha, who, who runs that bookstore, the, the mastermind of it. And thanks to a generous gift certificate from my parents, um, I was able to ask Warren Farha, what books should I receive for my birthday? And he sent me these. Um, then, in that last episode, I went on to uh, sort of do some setup by talking about two other readings that didn't come in that package, and by the time I'd finished that, lo and behold, I'd run out of time. Uh, if you know me, you know this is typical for me. So, what began as a short cutaway episode is now a two-parter, so I can finally get to the package, finally open the box, and tell you about the books that are inside it, and I am loving them so much that I can't wait to recommend them to you. In that last episode, I talked about a new book by Charlotte Donlin called The Great Belonging. And that's a book about loneliness, which is a subject that seems very relevant to probably many, if not most of us, during this time of isolation and quarantine and sheltering at home. That led us to um, a, an essay that James K.A. Smith uh, wrote for Image Journal, an essay that I share with my students all the time about the virtues of boredom. It's called In Praise of Boredom. And it's not really about sitting around being bored. It's about a frame of mind, stillness, openness to revelation through beauty, through art, uh, by opening, as E.E. E. Cummings might say, the eyes of our eyes. Focusing on those two texts, I wanted us to have in mind the idea of the possibility of loneliness, the doors waiting to be opened, the wardrobes waiting to be discovered and walked through into new worlds. Thinking about boredom, I wanted to think about the virtues of stillness, of not having a plan, of being ready to discover things you've never thought about before, ways of seeing the world uh, you've never seen before, uh, in the place that you now inhabit, rather than running around, uh, urged on by the prompts of pop culture or appetite or what have you. With those two things in mind, loneliness, stillness, I turn now to this box that came from Eighth Day Books, full of these uh, wonderful texts recommended by Warren Farha for me, and they have been wonderful company during the last few months. So I want to begin with my favorite uh, of the, the stack. It's the third book in a trilogy by Alan Jacobs. Alan Jacobs is the Distinguished Professor of Humanities in the Honors Program at Baylor University. He has 15 books to his name. And you may have seen his work in The Atlantic, Harper's, The New Yorker, The Wall Street Journal. I've had the privilege of uh, attending a lecture by Alan Jacobs, and so I've heard his voice. I've seen his enthusiastic demeanor. And so when I, when I read his books, I hear his voice. He writes, uh, at least in this trilogy, he, he writes in, in, a, in a familiar way, in a way that uh, represents very well. Uh, what it's like to listen to him in person. 
it's conversational, it's almost casual, and yet uh, more than any other writer living today that I can think of, Alan Jacobs' mind uh, is acrobatic. He can make a reference to an old movie starring Grace Kelly and then turn and connect that to an observation in a recent essay by Leslie Jameson. And then he can uh, be quoting Frederick Douglass or reach back as far as Horace and talk about uh, sharing ancient philosophy with his young undergraduate honors students. Uh, you never know where he's going to go next. And yet it is masterfully done because all of these disparate threads come together into uh, a wholeness of vision uh, that leads us to a new revelation that we probably could not have arrived at any other way. So today I am recommending the third book in the series, the first book I mentioned in the last Cutaway episode, The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction. I love that little book so much. It's about the adventures of haphazard reading uh, and of serendipitous discovery in just picking up a book and reading this voice and then turning and listening to this voice. The second book is called How to Think. If that sounds ambitious, that's because it is. And yet, what an enjoyable companion we have in Alan Jacobs as he uh, performs really some extraordinary revelatory thinking while also encouraging us to think about thinking and think about how we arrive at insight about the kind of wisdom that can deepen our enjoyment, our appreciation of life, about the kind of wisdom that can make a life meaningful and rich. So here's the third book now, Breaking Bread with the Dead, A Reader's Guide to a more tranquil mind. I must admit, in the last year, I have not had a tranquil mind. That's because every day I have been looking at the news. I've been reading the latest headlines. I've been listening to NPR and glancing at the Wall Street Journal and CNN and Christianity Today. I've been talking with my colleagues about election year tensions. I've been reading about violence here in my own city and across the country. I've been reading about the damage done by the uh, coronavirus pandemic around the world. I have not had a tranquil mind. I have suffered nightmares. I have lost a lot of sleep. I have felt in my whole body the effects of tension. So when I took this book out of the box, Breaking Bread with the Dead, A Reader's Guide to a More Tranquil Mind, I thought, well... I trust Alan Jacobs at this point, and I need a more tranquil mind. So I began to read, and I've got to say, not only do I believe him, not only do I think he is absolutely right about the path to a more tranquil mind, but reading this book gave me a sense of tranquility that I have been missing. There is an unworried... Um, I guess maybe Tolkien's uh, character Treebeard would say a, a non-hasty sense in Alan Jacobs' writing so that you feel like you're, you're on a casual stroll with a, a wise friend, um, maybe your favorite professor, who is sharing with you about the things he's excited about in such a way that you can't wait to go home and order those books yourself.
So Breaking Bread with the Dead is a book about reading, like the previous two in the series, but it's also a book about uh, a more specific direction of reading. It's about the importance of reading books from the past. We live in a cancel culture right now, correct? We see all around us this tendency to want to dismiss voices because we hear in those voices views that we disagree with. But Alan Jacobs is writing, urging us to listen to voices of the past even when, and maybe even especially, when we disagree with them. He writes this on page 8 of Breaking Bread with the Dead. To read old books is to get an education in possibility for next to nothing. And then skipping ahead a bit, he says, To open yourself to the past is to make yourself less vulnerable to the cruelties of descending in tweeted wrath on a young woman whose clothing you disapprove of, or firing an employee because of a tweet you didn't take time to understand, or responding to climate change, either by ignoring it or by indulging in impotent rage. You realize that you need not obey the impulses of this moment, which, it is fair to say, never tend to produce a tranquil mind. That is the focus of the book, uh, to listen to voices from the past, uh, to discern wisdom in those voices. And when I say discern, I mean being able to identify and claim and embrace the wisdom while also discerning the error, while also seeing that writer's blind spots. And as we look back through different eras of history, we are sure to recognize blind spots, uh, things that the culture around the writer had not yet awakened to, uh, so that now we can look back and read Flannery O'Connor, for example, who, who wrote stories about awakening to her own racism and awakening to her own culture's racism and prejudice. And yet we can see even in her writing the ongoing influence of prejudice within herself uh, to a degree that even she had not yet understood. Do we then throw out Flannery O'Connor, because her stories uh, give evidence of an ongoing uh, prejudice, an ongoing racist influence. Uh, I hope not, because they are still some of the wisest, most um, artful, most revealing stories I've ever read. And that's what Alan Jacobs is teaching me to do in this book. He's teaching me to slow down and say, do not make decisions based on reflex. Do not react and cancel. Notice what is wisdom. Notice what is error. Be gracious and learn from the goodness that is worth learning from. One reason to do that is because in 50 to 100 years, people will be reading what we, what we have written on social media or in our own books, and they will see and hear errors that we are not in a place to recognize yet. Do we want our own voices to be stamped out and silenced in the future? Or do we have good things to offer even in spite of those blind spots we're not even aware of yet? That is part of his vision here. 
On page 18, he writes, I will not try to convince you that a knowledge of history will protect you from the propaganda of tyrants, or sharpen your political judgment, or even help you to identify fake quotes online, though I believe that a knowledge of history will indeed produce all those good things. I am going to try to convince you that the deeper your understanding of the past, the greater personal density you will accumulate. Jumping ahead a little further down to the bottom of page 19, he writes, we lack the density to stay put even in the mildest breeze from our news feeds. And that's exactly what I was talking about. Uh, when, I, when I read those words from Jacobs, I was like, you are so right. When I read the news in the morning, I feel um, knocked over by the instability of the immediate. But he writes, temporal bandwidth helps give us the requisite density. It addresses our condition of frenetic standstill by simultaneously slowing us down and giving us more freedom of movement. It is a balm for agitated souls. You'll hear that term a lot when you read Alan Jacobs uh, in this book, uh, temporal bandwidth. He is encouraging us to a grander perspective that takes us out of what is right in front of us and helps us see the bigger picture. On page 23, he writes, I am aware that I have taken on a difficult task here. Attention to the past is a hard sell. I want to argue that you can't understand the place and time you're in by immersion. The opposite's true. You have to step out and away and back and forward and you have to do it regularly. Then you come back to the here and now and say, ah, that's how it is. That's the experience that I have with the natural world. When I'm feeling stressed, and I've written about this in the past, when I'm feeling stressed, I will go down to Richmond Beach about 10 minutes down the road from my house, and I will look out at the beauty of Puget Sound and those snow-capped mountains across the water, and the ferry boats drifting across the water, and the water always seems to be different when I look at it. Those experiences reset me, in a sense. They calm my spirit down. They remind me of the grander picture. They remind me of what lasts and what is beautiful and what is of God. And then I can go back to what was stressing me with greater courage, greater perspective, and a more tranquil mind. So the rest of this book is about what he calls breaking bread with the dead, sitting down at a table and choosing to attend to the wisdom of voices from the past, even with that essential discernment that helps us acknowledge and reckon with the blind spots of those speakers, just as we hope readers of the future will reckon with ours and still value what we have to say. He writes on page 29, if we cannot break bread with our contemporaries who violate our political commitments, whose views seem so alien and wrong that to share a meal with them feels like a kind of defilement, then it would seem that asking us to break bread with the dead is a futile act indeed. But perhaps not. The dead, being dead, speak only at our invitation. They will not come uninvited 
to our table. They are at our mercy. What the dead we encounter in books demand is only the blood of our attention, which we are free to withhold. My plea is that we do not withhold it, that we use our power to give them utterance. We can always, if they shock or offend us too greatly, turn aside and render them silent again. And there is a good chance that they will shock us. I read that quote at three o'clock in the morning. It was a particularly dark night, maybe the darkest night I experienced during this election season of 2020. I woke up absolutely stressed out because of what, what I'd been reading about in the news. And by the grace of God, almost without thinking, I turned on the light, I sat up, I reached for Breaking Bread with the Dead. It was the, the closest book, um, the, the only one really within reach. And I opened to chapter three, Table Fellowship, and I read those words and my spirit calmed down. I found myself uh, recognizing that this is true, that when I read wisdom, my heart rate goes slower, my anxieties still, and I've, I feel this privilege of inviting someone to speak to me rather than being assaulted by someone shouting. It's difficult to hear opinions that are not your own when you're in a contentious, confrontational context. But to be able to open a book at will, to decide to pay attention to someone's perspective, who, someone who is quite different from yourself, opens you to really listen, to be able to move at your own pace and weigh what is being said and uh, hold it up against your own experience and perhaps make discoveries uh, that you have not considered before. I love this little book so much. It is teaching me, and in many ways really, it's reminding me of why I love reading so much and why I miss reading when I get caught up in the sort of shock treatment of just doom scrolling through Twitter or Facebook or uh, the latest uh, headlines that Google has decided I need to read. Those uh, programs are calculated to keep thrilling us, to keep shocking us, to keep giving us those dopamine hits. They do not encourage a tranquil mind that is more akin to walking through a museum and making discoveries at our own pace. And so I am so grateful to Warren Farha for recommending Alan Jacobs' Breaking Bread with the Dead. That is the book I love most from this package. He also recommended a book called Bound to Please by Michael Durda, which has the subheading, An Extraordinary One-Volume Literary Education. Michael Durda is a Pulitzer Prize-winning essayist who has written about literature for many, many years, and Bound to Please is basically an anthology of his uh, literary criticism, of his essays about reading. And so I love following up Alan Jacobs' Breaking Bread with the Dead, uh, by opening Bound to Please. It's one of those books that you can pretty much open to any point in the book and just start reading. It's not one um, overarching argument. Um, for example, uh, the book is broken up into sections. Number one, old masters. Number two, professionals at work. Number three, romantic dreamers. And then, for example, within 
part three, Romantic Dreamers, you will read about uh, the book Pushkin, a biography by T.J. Binion, or Victor Hugo by Graham Robb, or Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky, or The Letters of Gustave Flaubert, 1830 to 1857. Um, each section is full of reviews, but they're more than reviews. Michael Durda's reviews are really personal essays in some way that have that sort of exploratory quality of Alan Jacobs' work. The third book in the package here is the oldest. Uh, it's from 1933, and it's by a writer named Eric Gill. It's called Beauty Looks After Herself. Now, I don't recommend trying to read Beauty Looks After Herself at 2.30 in the morning, unless you want to fall back to sleep very, very quickly, because Eric Gill's writing from 1933 is very uh, dense, um, very formal. Uh, let me just... Uh, give you an example from chapter one, which is about art and prudence. It's about why art is essential and why prudence is essential, and yet why these two are like a married couple who need each other, who love each other, but also who contradict each other, who, are, who live in tension. He writes, an act that is good, or thought to be good, with regard to oneself, is called a prudent act. An act that is good or thought to be good with regard to a thing to be made is called art. A man whose acts are conformed to his own good is called a prudent man. A man whose acts are conformed to the good of things is called an artist. In both cases, Skill in doing is required. Skill in doing good to oneself is called prudence. Skill in doing good to things is called art. Prudence is the means to happiness in oneself. Art is the means to pleasure in what is not oneself. Okay, that feels pretty stodgy, right? But when I listen to Eric Gill at the same table, in, in, in the same table fellowship, so to speak, with Alan Jacobs and Michael Durda, I am ready to hear a different voice and I am ready to see unexpected commonalities, unexpected correlations between these books. He is setting us up for a rigorous critique of the relationship between the church and art. He is going to, with no small degree of sarcasm, highlight how and why the church, as he knows it, has come to value, strangely, very cheap art. How the church has come to embrace mediocrity in art. Why that has come to be in a consumer culture and why it need not be, in fact, why we need to recover a sense of the potential of art, the profundity of art, the essentiality of beauty. And I would love to read more excerpts to you from Beauty Looks After Herself, but they would require a lot of analysis and interpretation. Uh, it is a mountain to climb, I will tell you that. But it is not a long book. Uh, it is a collection of essays by Eric Gill about beauty, about prudence, about art, and about faith. 
these are some of the subjects that are most important to me. And so I can tell as I take these books out of the box that Warren Farha knows me. He knows my heart. He knows my mind. He knows much of what I see. And he also knows me well enough to know what might be the next step for me in order to hear perspectives I haven't heard before that I might expand my understanding, that I might discover wisdom in the experiences of others even as I sharpen my discernment and note those places where I might disagree or note those places where there might be a blind spot or error. To be honest, I'm not finding much in the way of blind spots when I read Alan Jacobs. But I don't go into these things looking for error. I go in with an open mind, hopefully a tranquil mind, eager to have new experiences and to come away stronger and, above all, with a greater capacity for listening and empathy and ultimately love for my neighbor. That all of that is possible right here in a season of isolation, in a season of sheltering at home, is kind of amazing, isn't it? I'm thankful for Warren Farha of Eighth Day Books. I'm thankful for my parents and my wife Anne who had the thought to uh, send me to Warren as a birthday present. And now I have these treasures sitting on my desk, sitting on my nightstand, just waiting for me to have the urge to open them, just waiting to surprise me, challenge me, and bless me. So this has been Cutaway episode number two of this new Looking Closer podcast adventure. And I hope that you will seek out some of these books. I hope that you will recommend some books to me that might have to do with these subjects I've been talking about today or that might take me off in a whole new direction uh, to discover new ideas and and grow in wisdom. Uh, I want to know what you're excited about. There's a song we sing uh, here at Christmas time, Do You See What I See? And that's a question that, that follows me around all year long. Looking Closer is about me sharing with you what I see in beauty and in art and imagination around me. But that is offered with the hope that you will answer back, that you will tell me what you see, that you will share what is opening the eyes of your eyes uh, so that we can talk about those things and then we can share them with others and share the wealth, so to speak. You can find more than two decades worth of writing on the arts especially movies, at lookingcloser.org. You can follow me at facebook.com slash lookingcloser. I'm on Twitter as Overstweet. Sorry about that. Original music for this episode comes from Todd Fadel, a friend of mine since early childhood, and half of the band Agents of Future. You can look them up at agentsoffuture.bandcamp.com. If you have questions about these books or anything else you've heard here, or maybe you want to argue with me, maybe you want to show me one of my blind spots, email me at overstreetlookingcloser at gmail.com. That's overstreetlookingcloser at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Jeffrey Overstreet reminding you to look closer and let's talk about what you see.